This afternoon, we're still back in the 48th chapter of Isaiah, affliction, God's furnace. Uh, I think we started at that 10th verse. Uh, for my name's sake, I will defer mine anger, and for my praise will I refrain from thee that I not cut thee off, that I cut thee not off. Behold, I have refined thee, uh, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. For mine own sake, even for mine own sake, will I do it. How should my name be polluted? And will I not give my glory unto another? Hearken to me, O Jacob, and Israel my call. I am he, I am the first, and I am the last. Here God tells Israel of Jacob, they had been gone into idolatry in verses 1 through 8. He's reproving them for their idolatry. In verses 9 through 15, yet there's deliverance as promised for the people of God, but it's for a select number of the people of God. It's only a percentage of them that will go come through the fire and that, that will be saved. So, He's doing this, uh, sending them through the furnace of affliction. I tell you, in New Testament times, the furnace of affliction is more or less a spiritual refinement. It's a spiritual refinement. Uh, Verses 16 through 22 is solemn warnings of judgment on those who persist in their evil. And we know sometimes people keep on in the wickedness and the evilness that God's prophets and preachers keep warning them not to keep doing it, not to continue in. And God has a specific message for those that he was going to refine his people, that he was going to send them through a furnace of affliction. It's kind of tied to chapter 3 of Malachi where it says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and, it, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner, and a purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. As purifying silver and gold, it's a meticulous process. You can't let it get too hot. The smelting of going through the furnace has to be manipulated by the refiner. And that's what he's saying. He's not smelting us as he does silver, or we would be burn completely up, he would cut us off. But there are certain afflictions and things that God has the punishment design. He has the affliction. He has things set in all of our lives. And once we come into understanding and God awakens us and starts this regeneration process, we can accept life and death better. We can accept the circumstances of calamity and distress better as we get to know the Lord that he is a God that afflicts. He is a God that chastens and reproves his people. 
uh, and he has a furnace of affliction for his people. You remember the Hebrew boys that they went in the furnace, but all the time and all the while we're in, a, in the furnace, mm-hmm. he goes in the furnace with us. Yes. He's with us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. So whatever you're experiencing or going through, he's never going to leave your side. He says he'll never leave us or forsake us. That's why we must seek the Lord and attach ourselves in fellowship and worship with him and get to know him. The word afflict, the word afflict means to cause pain or suffering or to distress so severely as to cause persistent suffering or anguish. Now that, that, you know, you're not going to get that from the word of faith people, a lot of people with the prosperity message and God just loves you and wants to give you favor. Listen about this, what that word afflicts means. To cause pain or suffering or to distress so severely and to cause persistent suffering. Persistent, that that means continual suffering and anguish. A lot of God's children or God's people have experienced that throughout their lives. Martin Luther was in severe depression and suffered severe depression all the time. We see that in Apostle Paul. When he, it seems as though he was down in the things that was going on, the afflictions. He says to Ananias, he says, go show Paul. He renamed him Saul, how much he has to suffer for my name's sake. Becoming a child of God, nobody knows what we go through. You know, if you've been walking this Christian road a long time, it hadn't been all roses. It, it hadn't been all prosperity to us. It's, it's been hardship. It's been suffering. It's been being misunderstood. It's being your children turning their back on you, not listening, rejecting you, you know, not standing for what you want to stand for, Seems as though they're so far off from God, and all you can do is pray for them. All you can do is call on the name of the Lord, because you can't let them compromise you, because you know why you're going through that, and it's almost more than you can bear. David, the sword, he says, the sword will never leave your house, David. So David was a fallible man, but he was a man after God's own heart. He was a man after God's own heart. Oh, okay. He was a man that after God's own heart. So all of this calamity and and, and things that come into his life, he still sought the Lord, and he was a man that repented unto God. He kept turning unto God. He came in the 51st Psalms. He told God to to heal the bones that he had broken. Heal the bones he had broken in. We know that David suffered no physical breakage of bones that we heard of. We know that the sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ, none of his bones were broken. Being the lamb, he was dead when they came to him. That's when they stuck the spirit to his side. So, But this is mental anguish. This is suffering when people reject you. This is on holidays or different times when People watching television or doing their holiday thing and they seem to leave you out on the borders of the fringes of things that you misunderstood for who you are. Everybody else is there talking in the middle of it, but you seem like part of the out crowd. That you're not sourced in. Everybody gets it. Everybody is, but it seems as though you 
outside of the the mark of the pale, but that's part of the affliction. God says, blessed are they that mourn. Sometimes when you gravely misunderstood by your wife, you remember Job's wife misunderstood him. He said, woman, you talk like one of the foolish women. She didn't understand her own husband. I have arthritis. Uh, I'm afflicted with arthritis. I take Humira. Uh, it's been in the news that Abby, uh, Abby uh, Lab's been in the news with Humira here lately because of the billions of dollars they make on that drug. I think it was 30 or 40 billion dollars in the last year or two. Billion dollars on it. But I'm afflicted with arthritis, and so I suffer with that from time to time. You, Sometimes you learn to live with these illnesses. Paul had a thorn in the flesh that he had to live with. Now, we don't know what his thorn in the flesh was. I'll try to get to that a little bit later on if I can. I want to introduce you to some of this other thing. A region can be afflicted by hunger or poverty. We see some of the commercials about the Jewish League or something, or some Jews that's inside of Russia. We see the people in the Sudan, in the different parts of Africa, or whatever, that's extreme poverty. That's extreme hunger. And they're asking you to send money to feed a family, or dig a well, or whatever. That whole region has seemed to be afflicted. We see God's word curses some people that they would be desolate and a hungry land. We see where Babylon becomes desolate. As great as Babylon is, it's going to be desolate and a hunk, haunt for jackals and things. So God is sovereign over all that. God's doing all of these things. Some things he's allowing through his divine permissibility, and he had ordained these things. But some of it is through his divine providence. His divine providence. You remember when Jacob wrestled with the angel that he had knocked his thigh out of joint and he had a limp forever. He afflicted it with that limp. Uh, uh, trouble or injury. Sometimes we have to, through the Bible, we have to maybe look at the right synonym we're using for the word afflict, uh, affliction. It could mean afflict means to try, to torment, to torture, or rack. You remember that old thing, the European old medieval thing? They would put people on the rack and stretch them and pull on that. You some of these, seen some of the old medieval things. But it means to inflict on a person something that is hard to bear. And there's a lot of us, we read of the Pharisees, when Jesus said you lay burdens on others that's hard to bear and you don't touch them with one finger. You know, there's a lot of people that puts burdens on other people or do to other people or afflict other people not realizing what they're doing. But we have to see God in those things. We have to find God in it to get an understanding of it to be able to bear up under the affliction. That's the difference in a believer and an unbeliever is coming to understand affliction and being afflicted and just that God's not going to place upon you more than you can bear and he'll able to give you the ability to bear what you're going through. Yes, 
So during this time, it seems rough, I know, my brother. It seems rough, but keep praying and looking unto the Lord. He's going to give you the strength. Uh, these things, I know it's hard. A lot of uh, often quoted things is that this too will pass. It's quoted Second Corinthians 4.17. It says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, work it for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Uh, the Amplified says, for our momentary light distress, that is, this passing trouble is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, a fullness beyond all measure, surpassing all comparisons and transcendent splendor and endless blessedness. Living says, these troubles and sufferings of ours are, after all, quite small and won't last very long. Yet this time, short, yet this short time of distress will result in God's richest blessing upon us forever and ever. Hopefully, I know your son's been distressed and went through a lot of it a few years back, 10 or 15 years back, 12 years, however long it's been now. He lost his mother and now he loses his brother or whatever. Those wounds heals, and hopefully it heals. You know, it's like having a bone or something broken. Hopefully, with the anointing and the balm that the Lord gives, that it heals back properly. Mm-hmm. It heals back spiritually strong, you know. Maybe this will help him come to the Lord where we are. Maybe bring him closer to us. I don't know what church were they in or or who was his pastor or leader there or whatever but our what are afflictions or what are life's afflictions afflictions are simply troubles challenging circumstances unpleasant situation it's difficult people in life it's physical or emotional abuse and many more things fall into that category of what are life's afflictions. Troubles are a fact of life that we all experience. Sometimes we endure them, and other times we can take an action to resolve them. That word afflict, keep defining that word afflict. It is a general term that applies to causing pain or suffering, acute annoyance and embarrassment. Uh, any distress, uh, there are certain ills or sicknesses or ailments that afflict the elderly. And I was telling you, one of them was arthritis, in which I have. You know, I've gotten arthritis. Some of us has, has osteosporosis. Uh, the young man the other day during a football game, he suffered from cardiac arrest, and we were saying that you can be in 100% physical good shape or whatever, yep. and things could happen to you. Hopefully, he pulled through this distress or whatever, but normally heart problems and a lot of things is associated with getting old, you know, losing of sight, mm-hmm. losing of ability to move, or, uh, mobility. There's a lot of affliction that comes in our lives or whatever, well, we must learn to deal and live with those afflictions in the Lord. Mm-hmm. The word trial, tribulation, that word he tested 
Abraham. God tested test his servants. Try suggest imposing something that strains the powers of endurance uh, of self-control. Children often try their parents' patience. They go keep testing you. They go keep doing things or whatever. A lot of time a spouse will try another spouse. Uh, brethren, you know, there are trying times. People try your patience. They try you in different areas. And some people are given to that, and God allows some people to do that. But it's building something we have to look at. Look at that's why we have to bring God into the situation that we be overcomers in those situations of afflicted affliction that they accomplish their just and right purpose. He allows affliction, He puts us in the furnace of affliction to make us to be temperate and grave, a vessel of worthy of honor and used by Him. So it's a way that. We address our afflictions, our trials and temptations. I tell you that word tempt, affliction, can also mean torment. Torment suggests persecution of the repeated inflicting of suffering or annoyance. You know, some people torment one another. <laughs> you know, people say don't torment them. That's uh, a repeated inflicting. And in football, a uh, different thing they say about the enemy, but the torment is to repeatedly punish someone to or try to inflict some damage or suffering on someone, to torment someone or torture someone. Mm-hmm. Torture goes in that same vein. It says it adds the implication of causing unbearable pain or suffering. And that's not only physical torment. A lot of times husband and wives divorce or whatever because of verbal abuse, abuse or torture. Torture by a sense of guilt or torture by a sense of not allowing something to go by. They bring it up, you know. They they know these things, even you unnerve you or whatever. So all those things that God allows those crucibles to be there because it boils the infirmity out of us. It gets us ready. Coming through the furnace is like clay. He's the potter and we're the clay. So he puts us in that furnace of, of affliction to ripen us, to make us a vessel of use. And if we're not tempered right, if we get too hot under pressure, if we act in certain ways, some vessels he have to break and start over with a new vessel or another vessel or whatever because we have to be able to stand certain things. We have to be able to go through the fire. He's going to try us by the fire. Everyone will be tried by the fire. That's why we see Jesus with his feet like bronze, burnished bronze. That means he's then came through the fire. We have to overcome, and we have to go through the fires. Uh, that word rack, I tell you, which we, we could associate with medieval punishment or whatever, but it says stresses, straining, or wretching a body by pain. A stretching, or racking a body by pain. The, the word affliction, let's get a word from afflict, 
and add, making it adverb here, affliction. Affliction is a cause of persistent pain or distress, a mysterious affliction, a great suffering. Uh, the state of being afflicted by something that causes suffering. Affliction is the state of being afflicted by something that causes suffering. Uh, someone could be afflicted with polio, uh, afflicted with shingles. Mm -hmm. uh, we see a lot of vaccines or a lot of things that we could go through and be afflicted with it this day and time or whatever. The Bible meaning of afflicted physically, talking about bodily pain, is actively that which causes or tends to cause bodily pain or mental distress. That which causes bodily pain or mental distress. And that's what worries us sometimes. And psychologically and physically, that's why we have to have the mind of Christ to be of sound mind and not let the, the things of this world cause us to move and cause us to worry and to be at stress. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Uh, we hear as the bread of affliction, the bread of affliction. Now, I didn't flush these out. I'll flush them out and our next setting, but I didn't know we were, how we were going to do this, whether the funeral was going to be this weekend or the following weekend. So we'll have services Saturday then, and I'll teach again Sunday. And maybe we'll wind this out, but the preaching Saturday will be on affliction, hopefully. But in Deuteronomy 16 and 3, Second Chronicles 18 and 26, are often in plural, as it says, as many are the afflictions of the righteous. There be many afflictions of those that are righteous because God is shaping and making our character. He is doing something in our lives that he chastens each child that he receives. He scourges them. So many are the afflictions of the righteous. Psalm 34 and 19 Psalm 34, 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivered him out of all of them. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them are broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. So we see here where God mends the broken bones, that God heals the righteous, even though many be the afflictions of the righteous. And we shall suffer many afflictions depending. We'll have to go, go through those uh, that's necessary. One of the better ones we find in the book of Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles 18 and 26 read, And I say, Thus saith the king, Put this fellow in the prison and feed him with bread of affliction and with water of affliction until I return in peace. That was Micaiah that... Uh, Ahab was placing in the prison because he had told him what thus saith the Lord and the rest of the prophets had lied to him and told him what he wanted to hear. But you see what result Micaiah got for telling the truth? He was cast into the prison and fed with 
the bread of affliction and the bread of, of, of water of affliction. But he says, if you come back by here, the Lord hadn't spoken by my mouth. So he stood by the right in which he was done. <clears throat> in the book of Deuteronomy, the 16th chapter and the third verse says, this is during the, the month of the uh, of the state of, of someone wanted a feast. He says, thou shalt eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days shalt thou eat unleavened bread therewith, even the bread of affliction. For thou camest forth out of the land of Egypt in haste, thou art that thou may remember the day when the Lord camest forth and called thee out of the land of Egypt in all the days of thy life. So sometimes we have to sacrifice it, do things that causes us to remember the Lord and what he had did unto, for us, and we can't live with the fullness of life Affliction has to come, and that's good that we're, we're being afflicted in such ways. Uh, Psalms 119 and 67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thine word. Um, now he says, and the Amplified says, But now I keep and honor your word. See, because... By going astray or doing things in the world without affliction, sometimes it causes us to be in worse shape if we're not afflicted or chastened. And that's what happens a lot of times. We don't see the devil chastening his people. People are promoted for being evil and doing wrong or whatever. And I was telling my brother about that, that I don't watch a lot of the shows, or the newer shows and things today because... Even the good people do wicked it. We see a lot of things where they're normalizing evil. So if we're supposed to see good people doing evil, that good may come from it. It's a wrong precept. That's not of God. That's a false learning. I was telling them I watch a lot of the old prayer masons, a lot of the old shows or whatever, because their principles was a little bit strong. I'm not saying that they were perfect or whatever. But this latter-day age, it has been totally corrupt. It's full of evil, wickedness, and treachery. A lot of the shows show treachery with people that a friend trusts. I remember I stopped watching Blue Bloods because of what his name is, Danny. He had an old friend that when they were young or whatever, and they were best friends or whatever, and they grew up. But Danny was a police, and this person was doing something. And Danny had to trick him. Danny was a cop. He was going to catch him or whatever. But you see, you should identify and say, okay, our relationship has changed and we can't do this. You did this because I'm trusting you as a friend. It's like Judas Iscariot. Mm -hmm. Jesus had took him in as a friend and a confidant yeah. and he betrayed him. When you betray a trust of friend, that's why he felt so bad about Ahithophel. David said, he who ate bread at my table, it is he who betrayed me. That was the same thing that Jesus was saying about Judas. He betrayed the son of man with a kiss. Yeah. Well, it was Ahithophel that David says, we walked to the house of God together. And that he had betrayed Ahithophel, had turned against David. Now, it was due to David's wickedness because 
what scripture, uh, what we look at in secular, what we kind of devise together is that Bathsheba was Ahithophel's granddaughter some type of way or whatever. And he wasn't happy with what David had did to to Bathsheba's husband and in that whole situation there. But that's a whole different ballgame there. But it was the thing between Ahithophel, and that's why he David used Hushai to be his counselor in his corner. It's bad when you grow up and you're knowing someone or whatever, and now y'all in the purpose of betraying and working against one another. I'd be conflicted by some of those things. The Living Bible says, I used to wander off until you punished me. Now I closely follow all that you say. Because we know that we have every sin and transgression we'll, re- we'll receive. It's just recompense of reward. So we know that God has to repay sin. That God punishes sin. That God disciplines his children. So that's why we have to be like Joseph. Joseph says, how can I do this thing and sin against God? He didn't think about sinning. He did, I guess, thought about sinning against Potiphar. Because he said, my master trusts me and no one in the house is higher than I am. But how could I do this thing and sin against God? The New Testament tells us to flee sexual immorality. Flee youthful lust. All of these things. So that affliction, we know these things will come. I was listening at the thing about STDs and the sexual the diseases that are transmitted by casual sex and because of the lifestyles of the people today. Yes. What has happened with marriage and casual dating, even within the churches. And all of this could be prevented if we would keep God's laws, these light afflictions or these afflictions, however they come, comes from transgressing God's laws. So we know that God's people know that God's going to chasten them. We have to plumb the line. That's going to keep us, as Jesus did, through suffering he learned obedience. And that's how we learn obedience is through suffering. Why is it a good why is it good to be afflicted? Affliction is an opportunity for us to learn perseverance. We must continue to do the right thing. We must keep on seeking the Lord daily through prayer. We must not allow ourselves to neglect reading and meditating on the scriptures. Because afflictions will come. And the only way we can persevere in those is to be strong in the word of God and meditate in it day and night. It's to hide the word of God in our hearts. Why did David say that it was good that he was afflicted? He says, it is good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. He's acknowledging now that the Lord used affliction in his life to bring him back from straying and to teach him God's statutes. That he used affliction for these purposes. You remember I said the sword will never leave your house, David. You remember he he reasoned and he knew why, what was going on with his children and all of these things 
the child that he was praying for that God says that child's going to die, David will have to kill that child. And David was praying for the child and praying, and then God actually taken the child. Yes. Yes. But it causes us not to be angry, just like Job. He, he had the reason, and, and that's one of the great books that we could study or look at about being afflicted but not cursing God, not doing, uh, trying to understand God in it. Notice that God didn't explain anything to Job in the way Job wanted it to explain, be explained to him. But through all of this affliction, his friends was derelict in their duty because it's their duty, or it's a friend's duty. One of the duties of a Christian is to pray with his friends or strengthen his friends or help his friends. Job 6 and 14 says, For the despairing man there should be kindness from his friends, so that he does not abandon or turn away from the fear of the Almighty. It's one of my duties. That's one of the things I wanted to call you and talk to you, but I said i got to give him space. I can't crowd him as a friend and a pastor I have to give him this time as Job's friend. The best friends that they could be was just to let Job sit there for seven days and seven nights. When they did talk, they did say the wrong things or whatever. Yes. Uh, so David acknowledges the Lord's use of affliction for his good. That's, got God, that's one of the tools in God's tool chest for our good is affliction. He has to send us through that furnace. We all will be tried with fire. But the trying of our faith, as we talked about, well, as I talked about Sunday, I was up here Sunday and I did that. I don't know if you've heard that furnace of affliction, but I did that Sunday. God regulates the measure of our affliction. You remember I told you in Malachi, it's a refiner sitting over the silver and watching over it because you can't let it burn too long. You you have to keep an eye on it. God keeps an eye. He says if he sees the sparrow that falls, the numbers on your hair on your head is numbered. Everything in your life, God knows, and God, either His providence or His ordination, the sovereignty of His ordination is guiding and leading us somewhere. Everywhere, all of the children of God, even the enemies of God. Psalms 84 through 6 says, O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears, and you have made them drink bitter tears in abundance. You make us an object of contention to our neighbors, and our enemies laugh at our suffering among themselves. They are laughing at us. Because God's people were engaged in idolatry and doing things that caused his name to be blasphemed. Now God was afflicting them. And the people all around were saying, you're supposed to be the people of God and this is happening to you. He destroyed Beulah. He destroyed Shiloh. He destroyed Bethel. All of these places, you remember Dan and these other places is where the golden calf was putting. 
we have to realize God's retribution, but then God's measuring of affliction. You know, he gets to the point where he says he won't hear their prayers. But this psalmist knows that it's measured and that at a time he'll hear our prayers because he continues to tell us to call unto him. But it's certain ones he hearing their prayers. That's why I say we have to realize we're serving the individual God even though he's corporately God of all of us, but that he hears each and every one of us. He don't have favorites. Isaiah 9 and 1 says... But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish, for with judgment comes the promise of salvation. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he will make them honored by the presence of the Messiah, by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. This is the way he came. He was a light unto the Gentiles. He came through the through Zebulun. We talked about that a few lessons ago about the Gentiles, that light unto the Gentiles, that God wasn't going to allow his people to suffer the whole time, that his salvation is coming out. And I tell you, the 16th through the 22nd verse is a solemn warning of judgment on those who persisted in evil, but it's deliverance in verse 9 through 15 for those that it's promised, salvation is promised to. So the day of the Lord is going to be something awful for somebody. All of us shouldn't be desiring the day of the Lord. It's going to be glorious to some, but it's going to be death, doom, and judgment to others. Jeremiah 48. I mean, Jeremiah 46 and 28 says, Do not fear, O Jacob, my servant, says the Lord, for I am with you, for I will make a full and complete end of all the nations to which I have driven you. Yet will I not make a full end of you. But I will discipline you, though, and correct you appropriately, and by no means will I declare you guiltless guiltless, or leave you unpunished. And he's going to remember his children, but he's also going to remember what they've done. Each man going to receive his just recompense or reward. Yeah. He's going to choose his delusions. He's going to choose the way he brings them back to him. Plus, he's going to remember the nations he sent them among. Yeah. All of those places where they were sin and people marrying them and the spouses mistreated them. And the children were disobedient to him. And the parents abused the children and the people, how they treated God's people that were scattered about. Judgment comes. There's going to be a fiery judgment comes. He's going to thoroughly winnow his threshing floor. The judgment of God, justice of God has to come. Remember, we studied justice. For his kingdom to come, justice has to be prevailed. Righteousness is judgment. It is judgment. If righteousness and Cyrus Cyrus was a type of Christ in righteousness, where the king of righteousness, the Messiah, he was a messianic anointed king. Well, if Jesus Christ is coming, his righteousness is coming. His justice and his judgment is coming. It's a furnace of affliction for his people. It's not going to be a beautiful thing. It's going to be 
the righteous that scarcely make it. So what we must pray for him. The Beatitudes, Matthew 5 and 4 says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. They shall be comforted. When Jesus gives this beatitude, now he doesn't say, Blessed are those that have mourned, but blessed are they those who mourn. Mm, This is a continuous, he states it in a present and a continuous experience. In other words, they have mourned and they will mourn. They're continuing to mourn. In other words, as the time of Ezekiel, he said, blessed are those who mourn and sigh for those things coming up on the nation. There's going to be losses that we're mourning for, but also there's going to be mourning that we're praying for our loved ones, praying for the people. In other words, God's people are not running around here laughing and they're afflicted. And just as Christ was afflicted, he was a man acquainted with grief and suffering. I almost came to tears. I seen a young lady out in the street the other day, couldn't in her 20s or something, and she was scantily dressed and screaming all kinds of things or whatever, and I saw her at the corner of my eye in this parking lot, and I just started praying. I felt sorry for her because, you know, this is happening. That's someone's daughter. Yes. I mean, that's someone's granddaughter. I think about my little grandchildren and my grandchildren that's coming up and my daughters and my children. You, Jesus went through this world and it's a furnace and we see the wickedness and the things that's happening in the world and happening with our children and we're praying for our children and they fall to calamity and things going on in their lives and I see why he says blessed are those that mourn. So many a time I come up here and I cry and I pray and home crying and praying or whatever. We see why we see why he says is a man acquainted with grief. Repentance is not a one time experience, nor does human nature that he is the old man simply disappear after we receive the new nature. There's a fight of battle going on. That old man is going to want the pleasures of the life. He's not going to want to deny himself. He's going to be self-driven. He's going to be wanting to live in pleasure as we see Babylon was, that she wasn't going to sit a widow, that she wasn't going to see childbirth and all these other things. Christianity involves a continuous learning and growing process. Even Paul said he hadn't reached a mark. He pressed for the high calling in Christ Jesus. Each and every day I learn a little bit more. That's a process in which I'm growing each and every day. And I thank God for rising me up to walk in the newness of life to see a new day. His new creation, the new thing that he's doing. We're not instantly created in the image of God by fiat. Regardless of what people say, we're, it takes time to mold us and to shape us into what he wants us to be. God has decreed that we must live by faith, and that requires time and experience. 
That's why it says don't accept the novice as leading the church, a newcomer, a new person to lead the church, to lead the, the people. We must learn to live by faith, and that requires time and experience. We are created in the image of God through the fires of life's sorrows and adversities as well as its joys. You hear that? We are created in the image of God through the fires of life's sorrows. When we see there and see what the ravages of sin, what sin has did to this world and to the people of this world, the deception that Satan had brought upon the world. It says this, the devil, Satan has deceived the whole world. Yes. We see the adversities in life, the competitiveness of life, and what we think is entertainment, what we think, all of the adversities in life. But we also see the joys and the happiness. God gives us those hilltop experiences. He gives us joy and happiness. Why he says he gives us his joy. Even our Savior, even our Savior in Isaiah writes that Jesus, he's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, Isaiah 53 and 3. Many a day Jesus rose up and went away to pray and he was sorrowful because he was acquainted with grief. He was a man of sorrows. He was also rejected, like I was telling you earlier. We will be rejected by the world. And that's why it says come out from among them. Don't try to win the world. If you're friends with the world, you're not a friend of God. You will be rejected by the world. Paul adds this about our, well, the writer of Hebrews adds this about our Savior in Hebrews 5, 7 through 8. It says, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication, with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Remember I told you we will have to do the same thing, learn obedience through our suffering by the things we suffer. The Christian is one whose mind is attuned to God's through an ever-deepening relationship. And that's what I said. It's not by works. It's not what you had done, but it's by a relationship with Jesus Christ, a relationship with God. God became a man. He laid down his divinity so he could identify with us as men. And that's what I say. It's different. And and with me and you, and I came in, I, I came in, I embraced you, and I hugged you because I said... I don't know how you feel, Deacon. I don't know how you feel. I've never lost a son. I know it would be hurtful to me. But as a man, I, I only can imagine how hurtful it could be. And, and that's why, you know, he came to us as a man. And as a man, he suffered and died for us. Now imagine, that was a man just like we are. We have to be touched by the feelings of one another's infirmities. So as a man, he was despitefully misused and an innocent man that was put to death and they lied on him and they murdered him. But that was by the determinate counsel of God. He was afflicted and and did all these things too. Through suffering, he learned obedience to suffering the death, the death on the cross. 
He has so much to mourn over because the sins he commits, both of omission and commission, are a daily sense of grief and will remain so long as his conscience stays tender. Read that again. Let me speak that again. I don't have any notes. I'm underlining. He has much to mourn over because the sins he commits, both of omission and commission, are a daily sense of grief and will remain so as long as his conscience stays tender. Don't a lot of times what what causes you grief and sorrow is what you used to be? The old man? Yes. That old nature you remember? So you deny yourself. You put him to death. You could, and you sorry for all of the. I'm sorry for ever treating you the way I did. I'm sorry for not spending more time with my children. I'm sorry for what I might have said to my spouse. I'm sorry for what I did on my job. I'm sorry for all of these things, the things of omission and commission. In other words, the things I've done and the things I didn't do. Your mind goes back and you sit before God. That's what makes a lot of us mournful and sorry. We relate to those things. That's mean. That's what his conscience. That's what the regeneration is doing to us. A tender conscience becomes hardened through the deceitfulness of sins. Watch it. That's what I tell you. The new programs, the new television, the computers, the thing. It causes you to be hardened. It gives you a hardened heart because it says this is the way society thinks. This is the way you should think. This is the new norm. This is modernism. This is the new world way of thinking. It had cast God aside. An active and growing relationship with God will lead to enhanced discovery of human nature's depravity because God will faithfully reveal the massive gulf between his holiness and our corrupt and ever-polluting heart. Peter jumped off. He says, Lord, don't come. I'm not worthy to come near you. I'm a sinful man. What did Isaiah say in the temple? He says, depart from me. He was a sinful man. Isaiah seeing that he wasn't worthy. When we start seeing this, we realize the gulf between us and our Savior. How wide, how, how big a chasm is that? That this Holy One that laid his divinity aside and what he laid down, how, how must this been to a, a tender of, of soul before God that loves as you should love? You remember I told you, I seen this person by the side of the road and I felt with them with a agape love that, Lord, by grace, what have we done to one another? What have the world done? I look at some of the things on television and some of the people and the suffering and the corruption that is in the world. What have we done? I understand why he said this world is passing away. It has to start over. He has to start that his kingdom come, that his will be done. This world is passing away. He will make us conscious of the distance and the coldness of our love, the surges of pride and doubt, and the lack of fruit that we do produce. You start... You understand why I say you must hate mother, father, sister, and brother, even your own life. 
Because you start to see the nakedness of one another. You remember he says, who told you you were naked? You see, now you didn't eat of the fruit of the tree of good and evil. And you know what's evil. You know what's wickedness. Wickedness and evil are something that's not good is in whoever, whoever it is, whether it be mother, father, sister, or brother, or in your own life. You can see the wretchedness and nakedness because the Spirit is giving you sight into these things. Yes. That's why he say you must hate your own life. You must deny yourself. It gets to Paul's thorn in the flesh. It gets to that thorn in the flesh I was telling you that was going to try to get back to 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Second chapter, the tw- Second Corinthians, the 12 chapters, 7 through the 10 verse, it says, Because of the surpassing greatness and extraordinary nature of the revelations which I received from God, for this reason, to keep me from thinking of myself as important, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment and harass me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that he might lead me that it might lead me. But he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My loving kindness and mercy are more than enough, always available regardless of the situation. For my power is being perfected and is completed and it shows itself more effectively in your weaknesses so that the power of Christ may be completely enfolded and may dwell in me. So I'm well pleased with weakness with results, with distresses, with persecutions, and with difficulties. Listen to that verse. So I'm well pleased with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, and with difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I'm weak, that is, in my human strength, then am I strong, that is, truly able, truly powerful, truly drawing from God's strength. So Paul turned what could have sent him into deep bitterness and passivity and affliction. God decided not to heal Paul when he felt he needed it. And you remember Paul had prayed for it three times, but when he says, my grace is sufficient, we don't see Paul praying or asking about that anymore. Into strength, humility, and reliability. So as as frustrating as it was, that which he afflicted Paul with, was to keep him humble. Sometimes God brings things in our lives to keep us humble. We don't know what this thorn in Paul's flesh was. Was it his eyesight or what exactly was it was? But as painful and frustrating or hindering as it was, mm-hmm. his circumstances never deterred him from an apostle who by grace of God labored more abundantly than the rest of them. As I tell you about Sister Harris, she worked harder than any person. Well, it's about as hard as some people in the church I've seen because I remember Mother Coleman, the mother of the church, years and years ago before Sister Harris joined, she was in a wheelchair. And don't let the wheelchair fool you. She was full of works. She was full of good deeds. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, and the 10th verse, says, but by the remarkable grace of God, I am what I am, 
and his grace toward me was not without effect. In fact, I I worked harder than all of the apostles, though it was not I, but the grace of God within me. And that's how we should labor. Though we seem afflicted or held back, God has placed upon someone. Remember I told you the duty toward the afflicted. We have a duty toward those who are afflicted. Remember as as Job's friends, I said they should came to come to him and comfort him. Comfort and guard each other. First Thessalonians, the third chapter, first to the third verse says, Wherefore, when you could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Tempetus, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know what we are appointed unto thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and you know it. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you. So 1 Thessalonians 3 and 3 says, we were appointed to afflictions and sufferings. Paul knew that this is why he checked back to see where they was in their faith life so that he wouldn't have been labored in vain that the people were doing a keeping up and that he needed to preach or reinforce his teaching unto them. See, because afflictions will come. When that affliction, when that time of distress, when those troubles and calamities come, know that God is there with you, that God is in the furnace with you. He says, so that no one would be unsettled by these difficulties to which I refer, for you know that we have been destined for this as something unavoidable in our position. We can't get around it. People in the church, people in Christianity, people that's born again. These are things that we can't these are things that we can't get around. He says, I sent Timothy, our brother and fellow worker. God ministers to visit you, to strengthen your faith and encourage you, and to keep you from becoming faint hearted in all your troubles you were going through. We'll end this for this afternoon and pick this up Sunday.